the truths and the understandings and place them in our hearts uh, where it produces results. Help us to see you differently today, more clearly today, uh, than perhaps we have before. I pray this in the name of Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. We're moving into a look at Christ as the revolutionary. And uh, you know, I'm reminded of all the, the things he said um, to us in the scriptures in John 10, 10, which you all already know uh, the scripture, but I will read it anyway. The middle part of the 10th verse of uh, the 10th chapter of John I am come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. In uh, John 1, 12, which we have hit several times in the last year, uh, verse 12 of, of uh, chapter 1 of John, but to as many as received him, to them gave he the power to become sons of God. Means not only power but the legal right, but it means both words. Um, gave, he gave us the power to become sons of God. And I am uh, reminded in First uh, Thessalonians um, chapter 1 verse 5 for our gospel came not unto you in word only, but in power. And then over in 1 Timothy 1, 7. For God has given us the spirit of, not, has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And so we look at the result of Christ among men, and part of that result is power. When he preached the Sermon on the Mount over in Matthew 5, which is where we will start, he is setting forth a whole new order of mankind. He is calling forth, calling out from the world, a completely new order of man that sees and hears and does things differently. And we look particularly at Matthew 5, 38 through 48, and this really, I believe, is the blueprint uh, that, that, Christ, that Christ gives us. And I want to read it as a blueprint for this new order of man. You have heard that it has been said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say unto you that you resist not evil, but whosoever shall smite you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And up previously to that in his teachings on the Sermon on the Mount, he says, for instance, in verse 27 of chapter 5, you have heard that it has been said by them of old, that you shall not commit adultery, but I say unto you. And then he goes to the heart, to how the heart thinks, to how the heart 
response. Uh, in verse 31, he says, It has been said, Whosoever shall put away his wife, except let him give her a uh, writing of divorcement. But I say unto you, that whoever has a divorce except for adultery, uh, I mean, uh, for unfaithfulness, uh, causes the divorced wife to commit adultery if she, if she remarries. Um, over and over again in the Sermon on the Mount, Christ is saying, you have heard that it has been said, but I say unto you, this is Christ coming and saying, the order that you have lived under, the, the Hebrew Jewish order of laws and rules that you have lived under is now being turned on its ear. You've heard through the Pharisees. You've heard through the scribes and the Sadducees. You've heard through the interpretation of the Moses law, Mosaic law. This is how it's to be done. But I say unto you, there is a new order a coming. There is a new order of man. And so here in the Sermon on the Mount, he lays out the new order of man. And so in verses 38 through 48, he, he magnifies and amplifies that. He, he tells people, not an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but turn the other cheek. Go the second mile. If anyone, verse 40, compel you um, through the law, because uh, they had a law, uh, uh, or through, through the courts, uh, to take away your coat, let him have your cloak also. Don't resist. Don't resist this evil that may befall you, even through the court system. I mean, this is going against the native human fabric. Whosoever, verse 41, shall compel you to go a mile, the law, the Roman law, uh, if a soldier uh, asked help, asked someone to help them carry their load for a mile, it was required by law that you do that. Whosoever shall compel you to go a mile, go with him too. Be a generous, giving people. Don't follow, don't color in the lines. Color outside the lines. Live outside the lines. The lines of your church, the lines of your religious traditions, the lines of your culture, and of your, your cultural, societal traditions, live outside those. Don't go to the edge of the law and stay there. Don't go to the edge of what you think is fair. Go beyond fair. Go beyond fair to generous. Let it be an expression, not of duty, but of your heart. You've heard that it's been said, but I say unto you, let your heart dance to a different tune. Let your heart dance to a different music maker. Uh, let your life look different than the rest of the world. Don't just be a law-abiding citizen. He is saying here, don't just be a law-abiding citizen. Live beyond that. 
live beyond the requirements, live beyond the law, live beyond the legalities and the expectations, and be something extraordinary. The word peculiar that is used in Peter and in, um, I believe it's Titus, that we have been called to be a peculiar people. Let me see if I can find that. I'm doing this, I'm, I'm ad-libbing here. But turn over to Titus because I think it's in Titus 2. I hope it's in Titus 2. Um, yes, verses 14 and 15. He gave himself for us that he might redeem us. And Titus is just um, before uh, Hebrews, just before Philemon. He gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify us unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. And that word peculiar means extraordinary. An extraordinary people. We are called zealous of good works. And the good works that we are zealous of are found over here in Matthew 5, 38 through 48. In all of the Sermon on the Mount, and all of the teachings of Christ, and all of the example of Christ. So we've been called out by this one who lays forth this blueprint in Matthew 5 to be a peculiar, extraordinary people, zealous for good. So he goes on here. Verse 42, give to him that ask of you, and from him that would borrow of you, don't turn him away. He didn't say take out a checklist and make sure that they, they meet the requirements for any gift that you might give. You know, we do that today, and I understand some of it. You know, when, when somebody uh, comes in, uh, you know, on the street corner, a homeless person, and asks you for money, you think, okay, is he going to use this for drugs and alcohol, and the chances may be that he will. So it's, it's good for us to be wise in how we give, but not to let that keep us from giving. First of all, we're not responsible for what other people do with the money that we give, that we're prompted to give, according to here, according to the Lord. They're responsible before the Lord for what they do with the money that we have offered out of the, our heart to give. And secondly, if someone asking you in, uh, uh, something of you uh, as you're going into Kroger or you're there on the corner there will work for food and, and they're really wanting money uh, because maybe they don't have any money and you're afraid that they might misuse it, we can give them a gift certificate at McDonald's. We can uh, take them to the Kroger store or Tom Thumb and buy groceries for them. We can still be a generous people and wise at the same time. He is asking here, he is mandating here, that we look and think differently than the rest of the world and that we, we use our generosity uh, wisely, but we use it and we give it. And so you go on here, or he goes on here, Christ does, 
in verse 43, you have heard that it has been said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy, which is a normal human thing. But I say unto you, love your enemies. It's turning the world upside down here. He's turning our mindset inside out here. But I say unto you, love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Not a curse for a curse and an eye for an eye. When somebody curses you, he is calling us to be a people of blessers. A people who bless. Do good to them that hate you. Pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. For he makes the, rain, uh, the sun to rise on the evil and on the good, and he sends the rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love them which love you, what reward have you? Do not even the sinners and the publicans do the same thing. They love their own kind. We're called to love beyond our own kind. And if you salute your brethren only, what do you more than, than anyone else? You look just like the world. And he is calling us out from the world. And he has called us to look different than the world. Do not even the publicans do that. Be you therefore, King James uses the word perfect, which means whole. It doesn't mean without blemish. Uh, it means whole. Be you therefore whole, even as your Father which is in heaven is whole. So you look at that and think, well, <laughs> that sounds good. But I don't think it's possible to live this way. I think that thought crosses through our minds frequently when we read these scriptures. How do, how do, I, do I, can, I can do it for a day or two maybe or for a week, you know, pocket it in and just discipline myself and behave myself. <laughs> for a week <laughs> I can do that <laughs> give me some power food and I might stretch it into 10 days but if we really look at this he's not just calling us to to commit for a week here and see what you can do he is saying this is the kind of people my life ordains. This is the kind of people my life is calling forth to be this way. And yet you look at it and you think, I don't think I have the power to do that. And yet the word power is not lacking in the vocabulary of Christ or the language of the New Testament. The word power appears and reappears over and over again. We are told that we have been given the power to become sons of God. Christ was the son of God. And, and we've been told that we, we have power to become like that. And yet, as uh, 
Dave Williams said a few weeks ago, he said, you know, we've been given this power through the Holy Spirit, but we, don't, we act like we haven't. We live like we haven't been given the power. And I think one of the trademarks of, of our community of believers today is a marked lack of power. You look back at the first century church, and they died by the thousands, but they died empowered. They lived empowered, the ones who were really truly believers and truly seeking the Lord. Obviously, there were a large number in Corinth and elsewhere that didn't catch that and were lukewarm Christians. But of the Christians that really believed and wanted to seek to follow Christ, they lived empowered lives. And yet I think the trademark of American Christianity, for the most part, is an unempowered life. Because we look too much like the world. We see sporadic outbreaks in our own lives of Matthew 5.38, but it's sporadic and it's an outbreak. It's not with consistency. It's not with a consistent mindset, a, consi a consistent heart bent. And it is without victory, for the most part. And yet, uh, turn over to the last chapter of Luke. The last few verses. He takes the disciples out in verse 45. He has taken the disciples out to a high place. And uh, the last words uh, that he speaks to them before he ascends into heaven are these in verse 49. Behold, I send the promise of my Father. I said, the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. You see, at this point, his disciples did not have the power to live out Matthew 5, 38 through 48. At this point, they were like us. At this point, they did not have the empowerment needed to be the called out, set apart people. But you turn over to this, the end of this waiting period. They waited for 10 days. Now he, he didn't tell them, notice there, he didn't tell them how long it was going to be, which is one of the things you and I most want. Okay, Lord, how long, how long am I going to be in this mess? How long am I going to be in this struggle? How long is this crunch going to be? Just, if you, just give me a date and I can, I can handle it. He didn't. So they didn't know how long. They didn't know if it was going to be a day, a month, six months. They didn't know. 
He just told him, you tarry in Jerusalem until power comes upon you. And so 10 days later, unknowing to them of uh, the impending uh, power surge, we have uh, these recordings in uh, the first chapter uh, of Acts where Luke recalls what Christ said. Uh, I'm going to lead into it starting with verse 3, talking about the disciples to whom he showed himself alive after his passion uh, by many infallible proofs being seen of them 40 days. And speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God and being assembled together with them, commanded that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard of me. John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. It is not for you, verse 7, to know the times or the seasons which the Father has put in his own power, but you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost is come upon you, and you shall be witnesses. Your lives shall be witnesses. Your lives shall bear witness. You will be endued with power to live a life of witness to that power. And on chapter 2, verse 1, And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a mighty rushing wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues, like as of fire, and it set upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they began to speak with other tongues, as the Spirit gave them utterance. And so the first few chapters of the book of Acts, you see over and over again the word bold used. The people were bold. The people were empowered. They were of one accord. They were of one heart, one mind. They were in a unison and were bold in how they lived and how they spoke and how they believed. So we have Christ, who has been speaking in Matthew, of a revolution. He's been speaking in Matthew, and he's been living for three years a revolutionary life. And his beloved apostle John echoed the words of his Savior in 1 John 2, 6, where he said, if you abide in him, if you say you abide in him, then you should walk even as he walked. And in John 14, these, these were the words of Christ that John was echoing over in 1 John 2, 6. In John 14, if you will turn there, Christ talks about this abiding. He began talking about abiding in John 8, 31. If you abide in my word, and my word abides, dwells, lives in you, then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Another power. How many of us live a liberated life consistently? Some do, many don't. Uh, Then you come over to John 14, 
And in verse 20 and 21, um, or in 21, he that has my commandments and keeps them, keeps them, lives them, in other words, abides in them, he it is that loves me, and he that loves me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him, and will show myself, will stir myself up in him. The word is manifest in the King James, will manifest myself to him, will stir myself up in him and show myself to him. Verse 23, if a man loves me, he will keep my words, he will abide in my words, he will abide in me, and my Father will love him, and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. Now he's saying not only does, will his spirit come and stir himself up in us, but the spirit of his Father will too. Both the spirit of Christ and of the Father both are in the Holy Spirit. And he comes and stirs himself up in us. And then in John 15, he talks about abiding. And, and if we abide in him, look at what the promise of power is in verse 7 of John 15. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask whatever you will and it shall be done unto you. What an empowered prayer life is promised to the, not just the believer, but the abider. Verse 10, if you keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love. Even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things have I spoken unto you that... My joy might remain in you no matter what's going on in your life and in the world. My joy can be in you. It will be my joy, not yours. My joy. That is a powerful life. If we, in the midst of this cynical, hardening world, hardening America, this cynical, negative, critical nation that we are becoming, if we are people of joy? How might that change and touch people around us? How might that make a difference rather than us just throwing our own negative grenades into the battlefield and blowing holes in the, in the turf? Who wants to drive over potholes? It wrecks the car if that's all you drive over. And we are becoming a nation in which that is all we drive over. And, and the Christian community is not just throwing grenades, it's, it's throwing A-bombs. Some of the biggest holes in our, in our landscape are, are thrown by the negative, critical verbiage of those in the Christian community. Where the joy? Well, you say, well, how can you have joy when you live in a place like this? Well, the Christians that were being fed to the lions, Polycarp that was burned at the stake, died with a smile on his face. He was filled with the joy of the Lord. Stephen, when he was stoned to death, died with his eyes to heaven and at least joy in his soul because he saw the Lord. 
And we just see all the enemy out there and we throw our bombs and grenades at them. And we are negative as a people. We've gotten lost in our culture and yet Christ calls us out from the culture. He tells us to love those that we're angry with. Not be angry with them. Love them. Love those that are angry with us. Love those that don't like us. Love those that are mean and vicious to us. Love them. Pray for them. And no matter what the circumstances, he says, you can have my joy. He is speaking of an empowered life that is, does not hinge upon our circumstances. And he is calling forth the people who live this interior life, living from a wellspring of the Spirit that brings love and joy. Because you see, dear hearts, on our own, we can't do anything but lob grenades. We can't. And we've got the TV in our home that brings all the world into our home, brings all the junk into our homes, and we respond to it. From our natural fabric, we will respond the way the world responds because that's how we were born the first time. Our first birth gave us that tendency and that permission and that bent. But the story of this revolutionary Christ is that he who lived this kind of life, who from the cross with nails in his hands and feet and the sword wound in his side, forgave. Who from the cross was concerned about his mother and his disciple John. The revolutionary, the moment you and I accepted Christ as our Savior, has come to live in us. And we now have an option. We didn't have an option before. Before we became Christians, we had no other option than to live like humans, to live like the world because we were in the world. But once Christ has come into us, that Christ who lived like this has brought that power to live in your body. And so, as we study the revolutionary, it will be simultaneously a study of the Holy Spirit. Because what was begun 2,000 years ago in turning the world upside down can only continue, can only continue if in us we let him turn our world inside out. And if in us, through us, then, he can show himself to the world and continue the revolution. One who starts a revolution does not intend for it to go unfinished. And particularly this timeless, eternal God did not start a revolution 2,000 years ago for it to sputter out in the dark ages. Flare back up again somewhat in the Reformation and in the 1800s and then die out again in the 20th and 21st century. He intended for it to be a flame that the Holy Spirit could over and over again in the hearts and souls of believers fan into a flame. 
So no, you and I don't have the power to turn the other cheek and go the second mile. We don't have the power in our own human cloth to forgive. Oh, we can forgive the minor things. But the really egregious things, no way. Unless we just decide we want to work at it for years and finally get there. But if we really uh, come to the clarity that we have been endued with power from on high through the Holy Spirit who lives in us, then we can know that we have within us the power to be a people of another cloth, to be a people who change the world about them and impact the world about them, not with their arguments, their sense of righteousness, but with how our lives really can bear witness in the world to the one who loves them and who died for the world, who died for those out there that we're throwing grenades at. How wonderful and refreshing it might be for some poor soul out there who thinks they have all the answers, who are angry and upset, especially at Christians for the way we act, to actually come across a Christian that loves them, that has infinite patience with them, and cares about them because Christ died for them. It might just change their world because he has changed our world. It cannot happen and it won't happen unless we let the Holy Spirit begin to take over our lives. That takes a waiting upon him. It takes a waiting in him, definitely in him. We can wait upon him, but if we don't wait in him, the power will not come. By that I mean waiting, seeking him, waiting, pursuing him, waiting, studying his word, waiting, abiding in his word, waiting to apply his word as it comes to us, as we discover it, and then one day, a flame will fire up, and it'll be a flame of power. And we can learn how to live in that power and walk in it, and our lives be changed by it as we study the revolutionary Christ Jesus and how he lived. It will be a blueprint for how we are to live. And it will turn our world upside down if we take him up on it. It will turn our world upside down in how we see others and treat others and how we live if we look at his life and know that that life, that life lives in us and is bursting at the seams to get out and express himself to the world out there as he expressed himself through Christ. That's our commission. That's the blueprint. We just need to seek him so that the power 
will manifest and stir itself up in us. And it can, you know, if we abide in him and seek him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I ask your forgiveness for all the ways in which I miss you every day. I ignore you. I overlook you. I ask your forgiveness for all the times I let myself get stirred up, not by your hand, not by your spirit, but by the world. I ask that you come to us, come to me in this time and manifest yourself to me and endue us with power. Manifest yourself to all of us that are in this room in some way that will speak profoundly to the core of who we are and call it forth. Help us to long for you and to love you deeply enough to be willing to seek for this and to abide in you until your power comes. I pray this in the name of Christ Jesus, our Lord and our Savior. Amen. Okay. You are